So if you're new here at Windsor, we, in our teaching time, typically go through a book of the Bible. And we take a passage of Scripture and uh, learn uh, what God is saying and, uh, and what He is saying and how we can apply this timeless truth to our lives today. And currently we are studying through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And it's a series titled United in Christ. So our unity and our oneness is in Jesus and um, his person and what he has done to bring us together as a church community. And I would ask you to meet me today in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to be talking uh, from the entire chapter. Actually, I'm going to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, and then move right through the entire 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The title of our message today is Removing of Gospel Barriers by Renouncing Personal Rights. Say that with me. Removing of gospel barriers by renouncing personal rights. One more time. Removing of gospel barriers by renouncing personal rights. And so as I read uh, this chapter, and I'm going to read the entire chapter for us here, uh, but I want to front load our outline. So here's the outline that we're going to be uh, walking through this morning as we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a three-point outline. Point number one, Paul had rights. Paul had rights. Point number two, Paul waived his rights. Paul waived his rights. And point number three, imitate Paul. All right? Paul had rights. Paul waived his rights. Imitate Paul. I want you to listen for those major points as I read through 1 Corinthians 8.13. And I'm beginning with 1 Corinthians 8.13 because of the word therefore. Therefore, now the versification uh, in Scripture uh, was added centuries later by folks, <laughs> okay? Uh, but the, Paul didn't write verse 13, and then he went to chapter 9, verse 1, 2. That's not, it was just one entire unit. And so, so the unit actually begins with the word therefore, therefore. So let's... Let's start there. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord." This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Now remember, that's Hebrew for Peter. Cephas is Hebrew for the apostle Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? 
Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make use of my full right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is God's word. Did you hear it? Did you hear the majors? Paul had rights. Paul waved his rights. Imitate Paul. 
That's our text today. Now, Martin Luther was a famous pastor in Germany, and he once said, a Christian is an utterly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is an utterly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. What a paradox. Following Christ joins the words Lord and servant in one person. By grace through faith, God sets us completely free in Christ. In him who is Lord of all, we are Lord of all, subject to none. At the very same time, Christ's love arrests us and compels us and binds us to Jesus such that we become a completely dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. We are servants to one another. So the liberated Lord is also the dutiful servant. And that's the paradox and the tension and the supernatural irony of the Spirit's display in and through our lives. And brothers and sisters, that is what it means to be free. That's freedom. That's gospel freedom. And our text today helps us Understand a word that we in America hold dear. And it's this word freedom. Oh, we Americans love freedom. Freedom of speech. Freedom to worship. Freedom from fear. Freedom from want. I mean, freedom is the main theme and value of our country. At the same time, wouldn't you agree with me that today's version of freedom has come to mean the absence of any limitations or constraints. Pastor Tim Keller writes that with no boundaries or restrictions, modern freedom is the freedom of self-assertion. Well, I'm free to do whatever I want, or I can define myself however I want. But Keller says that this is just absolutely unworkable. It's, it's impossible. Because you see, how does the modern American definition of freedom work when your freedoms and my freedoms, your wants and my wants, are in conflict with each other? So Christianity offers a better, truer kind of freedom. Instead of an individualistic, self-defining, self-seeking freedom, Jesus Christ offers the joy, the joy of a spirit-fueled, self-sacrificing community of the free. It is the freedom to outdo one another in showing honor. And brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 invites us to participate in this vision. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is the middle chapter of a three-chapter conversation on the freedom of conscience. And so here's what's happening. Uh, some Christians in first century Corinth feel free in their conscience to consume meat that's been associated with pagan temples. They reason it's meat. Meat's meat. A calorie's a calorie. You know, we know there's really no such thing as an idol. 
And we know that there's only one God. And so their conscience allows them to consume the protein on that principle. Other Christians in the same congregation, they're just having a harder time consuming the same meat because in their pre-Christian days, they participated heavily you know, with pagan temples and idolatry and, and the sexual immorality uh, that went with that. So eating idol meat was a trigger to a past they wanted to forget. And it wasn't as if there was just you know, one Christian who was strong in conscience and could eat meat, and then there was another Christian in the church who was weak in conscience, whose conscience did not allow them to eat meat. It wasn't like there was just one or two people. There were groups. So this was a community problem. This began to threatened the unity of the church. So the question is, how does a church filled with consciences, both strong and weak, get along? I mean, what's the word? And the word, according to the Apostle Paul, is to those who are strong in conscience. So chapter 9 is an address to those who are strong in conscience. Paul does not tell the weak in conscience to grow up. Rather, he tells the strong in conscience to give up. Chapter 8, verse 13 says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, to stumble does not mean to annoy, irritate, or disapprove of. To stumble does not mean... Well, I just don't like it when you do that. Paul is not going to allow the weak to hold the strong hostage. To stumble means to cause severe spiritual damage. To stumble means to cause a brother or sister in Christ deep destruction to their faith. To shipwreck their faith. That's what we're talking about here. Um, Tom Schreiner is a scholar who says what Paul is doing, he's speaking pastorally here. And he's posing the question to the strong, are you willing to act in such a way that your brother or sister in Christ would experience damnation? Is a piece of meat really worth it? So what Paul does is he pleads with the strong to put their strength to the service of their brothers and sisters in Christ who possess weaker consciences. And by weaker, we're we're, we're not saying that they are weak in character or they're just a, their personhood is weak. It means that in that particular issue, that brother or sister in Christ happens to be weak. Their conscience is limited in that particular case. And Paul says those who are strong in that particular case need to put their strength to the service of others. And that's Paul's word in chapter 9. And, and, and it's as if Paul anticipates what the Corinthians are thinking, you know? Why do I always have to be the one to surrender? Why do I always have to be the one to give in? Why do I have to defer? (laughs) 
And if we were in the book of Romans, we would hear Paul say something like this. Because that's what strong people do. That's why. Romans 15, 1 and 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the limitations of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That's what strong people do. That's what we would learn in Romans 15, but we're not. We're in 1 Corinthians 9. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is much more aggressive. It seems that Paul and the Corinthians just have this conflicted relationship. And when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's like Paul is saying, okay, 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 you forced me to say it. I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there, all right? The re- the re- here it is. The reason why you who are strong should use your freedom to serve your weaker brothers and sisters in Christ is this. Because that's what I've done for you. That's what I've done for you. And over the next 14 verses in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul asks 16 rhetorical questions. Did you notice how many questions were posed in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? 16 rhetorical questions in which he argues our outline. Paul had rights. Paul waived his rights. Imitate Paul. Let's walk through each of those points. First, Paul had rights. Paul says, I have the right in Christ to receive compensation for gospel work. I have that right. Now, why is he bringing up money? I'll get to that in a minute. Just stay with me. Paul goes for 14 verses on his right to receive a living wage for preaching the gospel. Paul says, I have rights. And Paul argues his rights on the basis of four reasons. He argues common sense, scripture, temple practice, and Jesus. Paul says, first, common sense. I mean, soldiers. Soldiers feed from the spoils of war. Wine growers eat their own grapes, verse 7. Shepherds feed off their own flocks. I mean, if you own a chicken, aren't you going to eat Mabel's eggs? Of course. Paul says, common sense. I have rights. Common sense, then scripture. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Don't muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Paul says that the law wasn't just for oxen, it's for us. Verse 10. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap physical things from you, material things from you. If others share this, this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So there's common sense, there's scripture, there's the temple. So like Jerusalem and the Jerusalem temple, the priests and the temple workers, they were compensated from the gifts and the offerings made there. Verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? So there's common sense, there's scripture, there's the temple, and then Jesus. I mean, the highest authority. 
Jesus said in Matthew 10.10, the laborer deserves his food. And that's what's behind Paul's comment in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 9. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul says to the Corinthians in no uncertain terms, I have the right, I have the apostolic right to receive compensation for my gospel work. There. Well, leave it to a preacher to turn a discussion on idol meat, pagan temples, and the human conscience into a request for a raise. He's good. Some may be thinking, this is why I stopped going to church. Those money-grubbing pastors. And, And yet, I mean, Paul wasn't wrong. And the Corinthians, I mean, just as they're about to push the send button on PayPal, Paul says, I have the right, but I've waived my rights. That's point two. And twice he says it. You see that? Verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. And then, I mean, emphatically in verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Well, why did Paul waive his rights? Go back up to verse 12. He said, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That's why. Uh, Circle that word obstacle. It it means to render a road or highway impassable. So it it means to obstruct, to block passage, or to impede the advance of the gospel to the destination of the human heart. And Paul says, I don't want that. And, And my conscience... is going to exercise my right to waive my rights so that people in Corinth can hear Jesus. And this is particularly meaningful to those who first heard these words because of the culture. Uh, As you recall, Corinth in the first century um, did not have Netflix or Amazon Prime or movie theaters, or any such entertainment. And so if people wanted to experience the entertainment or education, they would, they would go to a theater or an amphitheater, and they would hear a speaker or a lecturer or uh, someone who just was skilled in uh, rhetoric or uh, reciting poetry. Or, and, and these philosophers or uh, public speakers, these professionals, you know, they had, when they came into town, they had to support themselves. And typically, they did that in one of three ways. Uh, one way would be that they, they, they were street beggars. So they had their cardboard signs that said, you know, we'll preach for food. <laughs> okay? That was one way. I mean, seriously, they would just beg. Uh, secondly, they would make a living by... Um, 
becoming an employee of an aristocratic estate. So they would have to then teach the family members and people in the estate so they'd lose a little bit of freedom, but at least they would have something to eat. And then the third way is they would be self-supporting. And this is what Paul did as a leather worker. The scripture calls him a tent maker. But he was a leather worker. That's what that involved. And so he would not take compensation from the Corinthians. And the reason why is he did not want to enter their quid pro quo culture of reciprocity. Back then, uh, gifts always came with strings attached. And if Paul had accepted their money for himself, there would likely have been a confusion as to who was in charge of Paul. And Paul wanted it clear that he was conscripted by Jesus Christ as an ambassador of heaven to preach the gospel. So Paul elected to support himself even though he had the right to receive compensation from the church. Now, he did receive financial gifts, but for others. And that's what we read in 1 Corinthians 16. But he waived his apostolic right for compensation so that the gospel could speed its way to the hearts of those in Corinth. And this really irritated the Corinthians because they were proud. It, it embarrassed them that the great apostle Paul had to do manual labor. And then they despised him for it. Even though he led them to Christ, they became Christians. And then they despised him because, he, you know, they would say, well, a real apostle wouldn't need to work with his hands like a laborer. You see how easy it is for the culture to creep in to God's kingdom. And, and so the, the Corinthians, they, they just... They just said, well, a real, a real apostle would accept our money. You must not be a real apostle. Are you too good for our money? Are you an imposter? And then Paul said, like, are you kidding me? And this, this conflict goes into 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, the apostle Paul says, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? He said, you know why I did that. I did that because of love. That's what love does. And so Paul says, I have the right which means I have the right to waive my rights. And then Paul says this. So when it comes to idol meat, I would just simply like it if you who are strong would do for the weaker consciences what I have done for you. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I, Corinthians, I know that you have the right to eat idol meat. I know that. I respect that. I enjoy idol meat myself. But you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, do I have the right? Rather, the question is, how can I help? How can I serve? 
How can I put my freedom on a Roman cross like the one upon which Jesus hung on behalf of others? That's the better question, isn't it? Church family, you you have rights. You have rights. You have the right to eat and drink what you like. You You have the right to body art. You have the right to your time. You have the right to vote your conscience. You have the right to homeschool, public school, private school, private Christian school. You have the right to uh, work on Sunday. You have the right to determine how many children you'd like to have or not, to marry or not, to let your conscience decide a host of issues that the Bible neither affirms nor condemns. You have the right. You do. And, and, there's more to life than your rights. There's more to life than your rights. Paul says, what's more important than my rights is the removal of every obstacle to the beauty of Christ. So so Paul says, my life's mission is about removing obstructions to the glory and splendor of Jesus. And so Paul says, if I as an apostle can renounce my apostolic rights in favor of the gospel, then surely you who are strong about idol meat can renounce that right in favor of the gospel on behalf of your weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you hear the big idea? God wants us to use our rights to remove the barriers that block the beauty of Christ. There it is. God wants us to use our rights to remove the barriers that block the beauty of Christ. Help me get out of the way so that people can see the beauty and splendor and glory of Jesus. And how? By surrendering and renouncing and waving my rights. You want a strong conscience? Do you want a strong conscience? If you want a strong conscience, this chapter's for us. Here it is. There is no strong conscience without sacrifice. So what sacrifice are you willing to surrender to be more effective for Jesus? You ever thought about that? This is a leadership chapter. Many leaders are so busy chasing their vision and rallying their people that they don't give this much thought, but leadership always requires sacrifice. Leader or not, no one wins for Christ without sacrifice. Jesus himself said in Mark 8, 34, if anyone, anyone, not any apostle, not any first century church, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And when Jesus says that, he doesn't mean put up with a toothache or a job loss or even a personal disability because crucifixion was one of the most barbaric forms of execution. The condemned criminal picked up his cross, meaning he picked up the cross member and carried it to the place of execution. And once you picked up the cross, there was no hope for you. There was only death, and that's the language Jesus uses here. Nothing is a sacrifice unless it costs you something. 
And then later on, in 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 5 and 8 through 10, Paul talks and uses this word obstacle again. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. So that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. He says we're treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Do you hear the paradox of being a servant and being a Lord in Christ, both together? And some of you are thinking, you know, you're asking me to sacrifice, and it's a pandemic, and I'm already exhausted. But did we not sing that song? I'm weak. I'm weak. And when God uses us in our weakness, church family, it doesn't mean that we become weak and then Jesus pumps us up and our muscles are big and then we go serve. It means we are weak. And we continue to be weak. And we continue to be treated as dying and punished and sorrowful, and poor. And yet in that very state, in that very moment, on that very cross, the glory of God just illuminates the servant leader so that, they, they, that the world sees truth and knowledge and life and joy and true wealth, having nothing yet possessing everything. I tell you, nothing is a sacrifice unless it costs. You cannot be both staunchly self-reliant and hungry for God at the same time. You can't. Your life is filled with trade-offs. And you can only trade up if you have something to sacrifice. And the best use of your strong conscience is to sacrifice because sacrifice is the, is the true nature of servant leadership. A lot of people view leadership, you know, in terms of perks and positional authority, but not the people of God and not ministers of Christ. If you want to be a more effective leader, what are you willing to give up? I'll tell you this much. The athletes who take the field at tonight's Super Bowl game, they do not eat the diet that we eat. And they do not have the same workout that you and I have. And they do not follow the same schedule that we follow. No, Paul says, I discipline my body. He, he takes us in this last section To the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were the games that took place in Corinth every other year. And so Paul was there a year and a half. He would have attended the Isthmian Games. And perhaps that's where he was inspired by verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? 
So run that you may obtain it. He speaks about self-control exercised in all things and in all things just to receive a perishable wreath. But Paul says, we, our, our wreath is imperishable. How much more should we discipline our bodies and beat it and keep it under control, he says, lest we be disqualified. If you want to gain the kingdom of God, Paul says, you've got to sacrifice. And that's why Paul talks about you know, becoming a Hebrew to the Hebrews and a non-Hebrew to the non-Hebrews and weak to the weak. And... But he's not talking about sacrificing his values or sacrificing his self-respect or his morality. Paul did not become an adulterer to win the adulterers. I'm talking about sacrificing material possessions. Sacrificing what the world thinks about you. Sacrificing opportunities to do other things. Sacrificing your rights. If you want to keep moving up to your potential, you cannot cling to the security of what you now possess. You can't climb a ladder when your arms are full of stuff. you got to put something down in order to reach up. That's the only way. And the place where you feel like you can't sacrifice anymore is right where God wants you. Because it's in that point where God does through you what you could never do on your own. And I'll tell you this much. A life that dies to its rights on Friday is always resurrected on Sunday. Always. Resurrection Sunday always comes. But Friday is first. Friday's, Friday's crucifixion. Sunday's resurrection. So church family, keep sacrificing. Keep serving. Keep giving. Keep encouraging. Keep forgiving, keep listening, keep loving. For love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I'll say it one more time. A Christian is an utterly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is an utterly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Paul had rights. Paul waived his rights. Imitate Paul. For Paul imitated Christ. Amen.